Right. Um, some of you, you guys see me on Sundays. You may not know my name. I'm up here doing announcements usually. And my name's Craig Litch. And some of you guys I know, some of you I don't know your names, but that's my fault because I haven't asked you, have I? So maybe afterwards you come up and say, hey, I'm so-and-so. Hey, you know my name already. So anyhow, I just uh, welcome you all tonight, and I'm glad you're here, and hopefully you've been sticking through the series. If you haven't, you could get them online. Just go online and, and pick out the ones you missed, and it's been a great series going through Ephesians. We're a third of the way through. We're almost, you know, we're moving along, getting there, and uh, we'll kick off the next third tonight. So hopefully you guys are enthused about it, and we'll stay up to date and see it all the way through. It's kind of a great little uh, refresher. You guys get a break from Zeke. I know you're tired of him all the time, and get to hear him every Sunday and all that. So anyhow, um, I've been an elder here for, I don't know, probably 18 years or so, somewhere in there. Uh, my wife and I have been attending here for about 28 years. So we've been here a long time. There's a few people here have been longer and that's fine. But I've grown with the church. Our family's grown with the church. We've pretty much, uh, you guys are our families. Uh, some of you I've seen since before. Well, I've seen some of your families before you were born, and then some of you we've known since you were babies, so either babies in the Lord or babies, real babies, so it's been kind of fun. Uh, I've done children's ministries here. We did it for about the first 18 years we were here, so I really have a heart for the kids and for that ministry. I know it's a hard ministry to get people to teach, and I always tell you guys on Sundays, come out and teach the kids. You'll be blessed, and for 18 years, I was really blessed doing that, and it was a great time. And just work schedules got to be where I couldn't do it anymore, and it broke my heart to give it up. But sometimes life gets in the way of other things, and God opens doors. We've been ministering even the last eight or ten years, doing uh, home studies and couples fellowship we did for about four or five years, and just a lot of other things. So my wife works here at the church, and she takes care of the books and makes sure the bills are paid so we have lights and all that stuff. And She's been pretty much working in the office here since we started here 28 years ago. So she's she's seen a lot of you guys grow up too, doing her King's Kids Ministries with the preschool and stuff. So she's got kids' kids now that she started. So it's kind of funny to see how life evolves, you know. But anyhow, um, God has, uh, like I said, moved us to minister in other aspects. And I've taught studies here before, but... I was just thinking, have I ever taught up here? It's been like 26 years ago. We used to have a study before the Sunday study that we do. It was almost like a Sunday school for the adults. And I taught a couple times there. So that was up here probably 26, 27. Remember that, Steve, when we used to do that? We used to have the Sunday school for the adults. And it's kind of like, yeah, I did teach up here once. But anyhow, it was a long time ago. And we're giving Zeke a break this summer. So you guys are get to get a big variety of guys and hopefully you meet some new guys by all these guys coming up and teaching and you can see that uh, what they are and who they are so anyhow welcome and I really appreciate you guys uh, sticking it through kind of so to speak tonight's my night to eat at the adults table so it's kind of cool you know you just like all right get to eat with the big kids up here and hopefully what I bring to you guys is something you could take forward in life Um, what I'm striving for tonight is some life application. You know, we strive for that every Sunday, every Thursday night, that whatever you get here tonight, you could apply it right away to your life. You know, it'll hit you in that kind of an aspect where, yeah, that hit me. That hit me right here, and I need to apply that to what I'm doing today, tomorrow, this week. I could apply it tomorrow as soon as I go to work or when I get up in the morning and see my family or wherever we go, that we could apply what we learn here on Sundays, Thursday nights, 
whatever night you're going to a Bible study, that you could apply that to your life right away. That God's Word would speak to you. God's Word would just, you know, hit you in the heart and you would use it. So it's my prayer tonight that we would be able to apply what we learned tonight and use it tonight, tomorrow, wherever we're at in our lives. Okay? So I did write a lot of notes because I had an accident a couple of years ago. And my memory's still not great, so I'm trying to write everything down and remember stuff. So if I do kind of wander a little bit, I'll get back there. Don't worry about it, okay? And you know, like I said, we could hear what the Bible says all day long. You know, you get up and read your Bible verse, but if you're not really applying it to your life, is it really helping us? You know, is it feeding us? So read it with understanding. Let's get understanding out of what we're reading. You know, let's try to apply it now and keep it going. Okay, so let's apply it tonight. Uh, we're in Ephesians 3. So we're just starting Ephesians 3. Uh, we're going to read the first 12 verses of that. And then we'll come back and we'll talk our way through it and stuff. So if you get there, Ephesians 3.1. For this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles, to the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him, through faith, in him may we approach God with freedom and confidence. That was out of the NIV. I know some of you guys are in your King James going, where is he at? But I, I call it the new inspired version, so or newly improved version. So you guys, I know Zeke teaches out of the new King James and might have been worded a little different, but it's the one I get the most out of. So what works for you works for you. What works for me works for me. So anyhow, um, just to precede this, I want to do a little background on Paul. We've been talking about Paul's words. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. So I want to do a little background on Paul because I think it's real important to get where we're at tonight by doing this. So we're going to, we're going to run back to Acts real quick. But, you know, let's talk about Paul for a few minutes. Paul's real name was Saul. He was from Tarsus, the city of Tarsus. He made his goal to capture and bring Christians to public trial and execution. And you're just thinking about this going, what? Paul? He did that. And you're just like, wow. You know, I mean, most of you probably know the story of, of Saul but, and Paul, but some of you may not. So we're going to go back and kind of refresh our minds of what happened to Saul and, and his, his change. So if we, if we go to Acts chapter 7, you know, I, I hate skipping around the Bible, so we're going to get to Acts and then we'll get back over to Ephesians. So if you go to Acts chapter 7, we can read through it real, real quick. Um, kind of where the first place Saul was found was in Acts chapter 7. 
And so as we look in chapter 7, you're going to say, well, it's just a blip, but it's where he was first written about in the Bible. So in Acts chapter 7, 1 through 51, Stephen's there. And this is where Stephen got martyred was during this time. And Stephen gives the Sanhedrin kind of a history lesson. I mean, he starts from the beginning and just kind of goes through pretty much the whole Old Testament. I mean, he does it pretty quickly, but these guys are probably sitting there going, wow, this guy knows his stuff. He knows our whole history of, you know, of, of God. And so he's, he's giving them this history. And towards the end of the chapter, in verse 51, he says, you just follow along, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received, you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Verse 59, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. You know, it's kind of interesting, you know, like I said, this is the first time you hear of Saul, and, and I think a lot of us subconsciously just pass over that real quick. You know, you're just like, okay, they're going to stone Stephen, you know, there's a riotous mob, they're coming after him. And, and here, they, here, here he brings out Saul, he says, they laid their clothes with Saul, their jackets and stuff, so they could, you know, free up their, their stuff to throw stones and to get Stephen, and, and just, you know, all this aggression coming out. And, you know, Stephen had just told them, he says, you know, you have... You received the law, but you have not obeyed it. And here's perfect fact. What was you know, part of the law? Don't kill. And yet they're going to go out and kill this guy. You know, it's like, okay, what, where does this fit in with your religious philosophies? And, and so anyhow, and, and so they're yelling. He's, he's yelling at them, you know, you know, telling them what they're doing wrong. And, and all of a sudden they just start covering their ears. You know, it's almost like you're, you're a little kid, you know, like when somebody's telling, you know, they're telling you something, they're just like, I'm not going to listen. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, covering their ears and talk while you're talking to them or something, you know, or another kid's telling them something. And it just cracks me up how childish these people are almost, you know, they're, they're screaming so they can't hear Stephen talk and, and just like little kids. And then they dragged him out of the city. And then Stephen's last words as he fell to his knees, he cried out, Lord, you know, what were the, Jesus' last words? You know, when he's hanging on the cross, it's almost the same thing. He, he says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after he said that, the Lord took him. You know, how awesome is that? He didn't have to suffer through that pain. You know, God just took him. But it, it just reminds you of Jesus on the cross. You know, he had that heart still for those people. You know, don't, don't hold them accountable for this, Lord. Even though he had told them what they were doing wrong. So in chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul was giving their was there. He was giving approval to, this, to this, his death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. In verse 1, it's talking about, broke out against church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Verse 2, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. 
But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. You know, here Saul is, like I said, it's first mentioned him, and then it goes on to explain what Saul went and did. He went out and persecuted the Christians. He went out and got them. He did what they just did to Stephen. You know, he got these mobs together and these people together to, to persecute Christians, kill Christians, put them in jail. It, it's just kind of funny how, how things go on. And meanwhile, still still breathing out these murderous threats in uh, Acts, Acts 1, uh, the first 28 verses in chapter 9. So if you guys go to chapter 9 real quick, we'll go through that real quick. And it's kind of the where Saul goes on and, and it kind of shows more about what he's doing. And so it says in verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but not, did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, or Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may again see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus and proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their pain. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in the basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. 
not believing that he really was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul, Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. You know, as it starts out, you know, here we have Saul persecuting all the Christians, right? He's going after them. I mean, he's finding letters that people are writing saying about how this guy's... And then he's finding those people that the letters are going to, to arrest them too, because they're all in a conspiracy. You know, they're all spreading the Christian faith, the, the faith about Jesus. And so he's going around, you know, just really hitting them hard. So on this road to Damascus, all of a sudden, bam, this bright light appears. I mean, blinding, blindinger than my shirt, okay? Pretty bright stuff. So he hits this light and he can't see. He's down on the ground. So he's blind. And, but the thing was, these other guys that were with him heard this. So it wasn't just him. They weren't blinded. They didn't see it. He saw it. And so for three days, he's laying around. He's not drinking anything. And he's, he's just come to Jesus meeting, right? You know, he's like, okay. So they're taught, you know, he's sitting there. And then finally, God has told him that this Ananias is going to come to him in a vision. So Ananias shows up, tells him, I'm here. But, you know, Ananias, now if you're going to go see this guy, how are you feeling about it right now? God tells you to go see him, right? You've heard what this guy's doing. You've heard how he's treating people. Okay, I'm a Christian and I'm going to go over there and tell him, you know, tell him what God told me. You know, that's like suicide. He's going to put me, you know. So Ananias is kind of like, really? You want me to go see him? Are you sure? Maybe we should think about this for a couple of days, Lord. Maybe we should talk it over. No. Go. You know, if God tells you to do something, do you do it? We'll pray about it. We'll get to it. But I think if, if God comes to you like this, you're going to go. So Ananias goes to him. He's healed. Saul's healed. He's got his eyesight back. Wow, this must be God working in me, right? Okay. And he's, he's kind of precept, getting him ready to go here. And the scales fall from his eyes. He got up. He was baptized. And after taking some food, getting his strength back, he hadn't eaten for three days. I don't know. I go a day without eating. You know, Zeke talks about uh, fasting. And I, I just can't do it. I get too weak. <laughs> I'm a wimp, I guess. But I just I, I end up sick like for three days afterwards. So I'll fast a meal here and there. But Zeke, he goes like two, three days. He's an animal. But then he goes to the Jockos and has steaks and stuff and goes crazy. But, you know, I, I just... I. I can go a meal or two and I'm okay, but more than that, I just... He went three days without eating. I know after three days, I'd be like in the fetal position crying for my mom or something, you know. <laughs> so anyhow, he goes three days, he's kind of weak, so he's trying to get his strength back. And so he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And these guys, you know, I think they've seen a change, don't you? You know, here's this guy that was out to get all these guys. All of a sudden, he's... And he was a Jewish Orthodox you know, he knew what was an Orthodox Jew, okay? He knew the law. He knew what was going on. To persecute these Christians, he had to know the law. So he knew, you know, it wasn't like he was stupid to what was going on. He was up with what was going on around him and stuff. And God gave him, through that Holy Spirit, though, gave him that knowledge also. So among those, he uh, he had just got done raising all his havoc. Now he's he's in there and he's talking with these disciples and, and preaching in the synagogues. And that Jesus, and he's preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, this goes against everything those guys have been learning, you know, or, or have been taught in their growing up. 
So he's preaching Christ. What Zeke does every Sunday in here. So after many days gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. So now they're out to get Saul, right? She was on the other foot, right? Now he's the one running away, getting in the dark. You know, he's out preaching, but yet he's still kind of like looking around. So the guys that were with him there, they waited for night to come, and they snuck him out through a hole in the wall. You know, the hole in the wall gang, they're kind of lowering him down in a basket, getting him out of there. And so when he came to Jerusalem, he's trying to meet with the disciples, and they're like, I don't want to meet with that guy. I, I can feel like something coming on. There's a conspiracy coming on. They're going to they're gonna get us. He's, he's got guys back there somewhere that are going to get me. You know, they're very uh, suspicious of him. So after, after he saw how Saul had changed him and all this, they're, they're starting to listen to him more. And in Damascus, he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. He had no fear. And I mean, can you imagine if you were blind for three days and all of a sudden you were healed? Wouldn't that kind of change your outlook on life? You know, um, you know, I've had a life experiencing moment, you know, and it, it changes your life. It does. It, it wakes you up to the fact that you're not guaranteed tomorrow. I mean, these kids last week, look at them. I mean, we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I don't want to scare you guys, but it's just facts. I mean, we don't know if we're going to wake up, go to, you know, go to sleep, wake up or not. Don't get paranoid. You'll be here tomorrow. Most, you know, hopefully God willing, but you know, it's one of those things. We don't know what's going to change in our lives tomorrow, tonight. So be prepared. And so Saul, he's out there preaching, man. He, he's got it. He says, man, look, I was blind. Now I can see. God's healed me. God wants me to do this. You know, it was like Moses when God came down in the burning bush and talked to him. You think, you know, he had that come to Jesus meeting, you know, that, that talk with God. And it changed his life. You know, it, it put him out there. Now he's preaching it. So this is what happened to Saul. So they stay with him. They move freely about Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So anyhow, his life was changed. His life was changed forever. He, Saul was eventually martyred 32 years later from this point. So he had 32 years to minister. And I mean, if you know most pastors, 32 years is, is a long time. I mean, even in our day, 32 years is a long time. And this time it was like really a long time. And he wrote 25% of our New Testament. One-fourth of that New Testament, Paul wrote. I mean, that's amazing. You know, he had plenty of time to write those. We'll learn later on. But it was, it was just kind of funny. You know, you look at Paul's life and how it was changed. And I, I, I did, couldn't see how old he was at this time. But 32 years of, of just ministering and writing and stuff like that. And his, he's a testimony of a man that violently persecuted Christians that became a Christian due to this supernatural experience. You know, most of the Jews couldn't understand that a Messiah would be crucified for the sins of the world because they weren't taught that. So, and that's going to be part of our mystery here that we read about in chapter 3 is, is the mystery of Jesus, okay? After his conversion, he had to rethink his views of God. You know, Saul had to think back and go, well, everything I've been taught was right, but it was wrong, okay? And uh, it didn't take long after his blinding light experience for him to move on and to be, you know, Gain that knowledge. So as we begin in Ephesians on 3.1, we see that Paul is where he is. He's quite where he is quite frequently. You know, every time you read through the, through the Bible, where's Paul usually at? In a jail. You know, he's hanging out. Been arrested. What was he doing to all the Christians all his previous years? He was arresting them. God's kind of got a sense of humor that right way, right? You know, he says, 
he says back in that in uh, I think chapter eight where he says that Saul will suffer for me, but he's okay with that, you know. So we can see Paul is where he is quite a bit of the time. He's in jail in in chapter one, and you know you think about it. Paul's in jail. He's shackled to a guard. He's got that guard's ear, doesn't he? You know, when you're stuck with somebody forever like that, or you know, shackled to him, you got him at least eight hours a day. Might as well talk to him about the Lord, right? So that's what Paul does. He's ministering to those guys. And so often when he's writing, he says, Oh yeah, say hi to my friends. You know, he's sending these guys out. Say hi to my friends out there. The guards I've been talking to all the time that have become Christians. They got saved. So he was constantly ministering to people while he was in jail. Writing letters. The letter to Ephesians. All the other the books of the New Testament that he wrote. He had plenty of time to write. Lots of time on his hands, right? He's sitting in jail. So you could say Paul had kind of a pretty good prison ministry, right? Yeah, he was out doing the prison ministry. We got guys here do it all the time. Brother Steve's out there almost every Sunday up there at the up there at the camp up there. So anyhow, he was really ministering to the guards. He was ministering to the guys that were around him, and most of his writings were done there while he was in prison. And we know who inspired those writings was God. So Paul begins his explanation of the mystery of the church in the first few verses here of uh, chapter 3. And it's not an eerie mystery, one like, oh, it's a mystery, you know. No, it's a mystery. It's something that's going to be revealed here. So it's not something scary. It's more of mysterious because it hasn't been revealed. So here, here it's been revealed and he's kind of saying what the mystery is and writing about it. And the mystery here is, is revealed, but it's important to four different groups of people. And the first one it was important to was Paul, to reveal this mystery to everybody. So in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, the first five verses, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Okay, Paul was a prisoner. Why? Because he believed in God's new program of uniting believing Jews and Gentiles. Before they were separated. You know, the Jews were here, upper class people, you know, pretty high on the, the status ladder. The Gentiles were kind of down even below the, you know, the chairs. They were kind of like the dogs of that day. They were kind of the people that were the servants. They were the ones that were out there shoveling dirt or whatever. You know, they were the lowest of the low. And so Paul's call from the beginning was to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, to bring them in with the Jewish people, the Jewish people that are already believing in Christ, the Christian Jews. So his, his ministry is to bring them together. So he's preaching to the Gentiles. He's, he's telling them that, you know, the way it's supposed to be is we're all supposed to be together. You know, people, people anymore, you know, you look at people on their social class or the economic class or race, religion, whatever, and, and sometimes we have a tendency to look down on people. And that's how these Orthodox Jewish people were. They would look down at the Gentiles and say, ah, you know, look at that guy over there or whatever. And I mean... Sometimes some people may make us more uncomfortable than others. But it's our job as Christians is to love those people, right? We're supposed to love them. And some people I know are hard to love. I know it. 
You know, you're just like, God, that guy just annoys me or that girl annoys me or whatever. You know, if you're around a lot of people every day, there's bound to be somebody in your life that annoys you. We got a gal here who works at State of Rose. I'm sure there's a customer in there that annoys you, isn't there? You know, they're in there every day, right? You're just like, ah. And so, you know, there's people in our lives that will annoy us. We are still to love them. We are still to love on them. And it, I know it's hard sometimes. You're just like, gosh, I, I just, I don't hate that person. I just, I'd rather not be around them all the time, right? You know, so you distance yourself a little bit. But that's okay. You can still love them. And so Paul's job here is to, to kind of get the Gentiles and the Jews together to love each other, to become that body, you know, that church. And that's how we need to be here as a body in church. You know, we need to love each other. Yeah, there may be somebody sitting over here you don't like over there. Well, you can still love them. You just can choose not to be around them all the time, you know. You know what I mean? I mean, they're annoying. I know, they got that high-pitched voice when they sing. Or, oh, have you been behind that guy when he's singing? Oh, my ears hurt. You know, you could be like those guys around Stephen, you know, close your ears or something. But it's one of those things where love each other, love on each other. You know, like I said, there's people here, I don't know your names. I'm sorry, I try to. Zeke is the best at it, and he still doesn't know everybody here. I know he tries. And Anyhow, we'll get to that in a few minutes. But, you know... Paul's job was to bring these guys together. And the mystery was that the Jews didn't know that the Gentiles were supposed to be able to fellowship together, to have that Jesus experience, to know what Jesus did for them. That not now it's not just about the law, but it's about Christ. It's about Christ coming in our hearts and that because of what he did for us, our sins are forgiven, right? We all know that. Our sins are forgiven because of what he did for us. All we got to do is ask. And that's what Paul's preaching to these guys. That because of what he did, we, you know, we have the law, but we have Christ now. We can be forgiven for everything we've done. And, and we need to come together as a, as a group to come together to, to know this and to live together and to be, love each other. I mean, you know, that's one of God's commandments, to love each other. We need to love each other. And so he's preaching this. And um, so anyhow, sometimes we could overdo it, though, you know, um, by loving a certain group and not so much another group as much. And so the, the Jews were kind of getting kind of offended because Paul's out there really teaching the Gentiles, hey, come on in, you know, and, and almost like overdoing it. You know what I mean? He's kind of like giving them super great hospitality and the Jews are over here like, hey, how about us, right? We're sitting over here. Remember us, Paul? Yeah, yeah, you guys, you know, you guys have been here a while. And, and I think sometimes, you know, we can feel that way as a body, you know, you, you walk out of church on Sunday mornings and Zeke's talking to somebody over here or somebody else you want to talk to is over here, maybe somebody in the leadership of the church or Jim, you know, he's singing up here and he's out fellowshipping. And, and it's great that Zeke and Jim will go out here after, you know, a service, even though they got another service coming up and, and they'll fellowship and they'll, they'll talk to everybody. But we can't talk to everybody, can we? I mean, some people walk by Zeke and he's talking and he's looking at this guy or Jim's looking at that guy because, and, and, you know, he wants to say hi to you. But we can't be everywhere at once. He can't be everywhere at once. And, and it's great he's available. But yet, I think some people, sometimes they'll leave and, well, Jim didn't say hi to me today. And man, am I just, I'm going to go throw dirt on myself and roll in the dirt and just, you know, be miserable well no i mean they still love you they want to be with you but sometimes maybe you don't need the attention that day you know i know everybody wants to be seen and said hi to and and they want to and and they're trying and we're trying and you know but it's just 
sometimes like the Jews, you know, you get, you're over here and, and we know you can handle it. You're going to be okay. You can do it. It's all right. You know, the Gentiles, they've never had this before. They don't know anything about it. I'm trying to minister to those people so that we could become a family. You know, it's like having a new baby in your family, right? You know, the second child is always a little jealous, right? You know, well, how come he gets hold all the time or she gets hold all the time? And I'm now I'm the, you know, the middle child or the old child now. And I don't get all the attention anymore. Well, that's part of life. Doesn't mean they love you less. Right. You know, we love you guys and, and you're our families. Like I said, you know, Ann and I have been here for 28 years and you guys are more of a family than my family. So, I mean, my kids, they're still pretty, pretty tight with me, but they still like me. But, you know, we're a family here and, and you guys need to embrace that fact that we're family, you know, sometimes dysfunctional, but we're family. You're stuck with what you're stuck with. Right. Can't trade them in. Maybe here you can. I don't know. But, but we, you know, this is your family, that, you know, your brothers and sisters you're sitting next to or behind or whatever. And, and it's hard to, you know, like I said, see all you guys, but we love to see all you guys. I'd, you know, I'd love to sit out in the foyer. You know, I go out in the foyer after first service and second. And I'll, I'll try to say hi to you guys, but I'm, I'm not that outgoing, really. I, <laughs> sometimes I am, but sometimes I'm not. I don't know. I try to be, and sometimes I try. And, and I'm really terrible at remembering names. Zeke's great at it. I don't know how he does it, but I don't know. I try. But Paul was going through this, you know, where the Jews were getting jealous of, of what he, the way he was spending all his time with the, with the Gentiles. And, and, but Paul's trying to get them together. But yet his mission was to get the Gentiles and Jews together, to teach the Gentiles that had been neglected for years and years and years and years that, yeah, you could be part of this. You could be part of that life with Christ. And so, so Paul was not only a prisoner, but he was a minister. And his minister was to get to the Gentiles and to teach them the good news of salvation through Christ Jesus. But also that the Jews and Gentiles were one in Christ. They were together. Okay? So bringing them together. So because Paul was faithful to God, where was he? In jail. Hanging out. Right? Shackled to some guard. Preaching to him. Writing letters to the Ephesians. Okay, so he's faithful to God. He's in jail, but in the in the end, it brought glory to God, right? So it brought glory to him. So his first, he was the first one that it was important to. It was important to Paul to get this ministry out, to get out there and do it. Second of all, it was important to the Gentiles. We just talked about them. You know, the Gentiles, how this was kind of important to them to bring them in to show them that there there's eternal life, you know, and to kind of bring them into this with the rest of the group here. So in Ephesians 3, 6 through 8, uh, verse 6 starts out, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Okay, now he's getting to the meat of it. Members together of one body and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Last week, Jeremiah kind of touched on this where we read that Christ's work on the cross was accomplished more than salvation of just individual sinners. It reconciled the Jews and the Gentiles to each other and to God. We share the riches of Christ no matter who we are. And, and like I was talking about before, 
you know, we look at economic class or, or we look at people that are just really not our, our kind of people. You know, you see a guy that's maybe pretty dirty or just somebody that rubs you the wrong way or somebody that thinks they're better than you. And, and this is what God was trying to do was get everybody together. You know, we look at racism in this country or, or religion in this country or politics in this country and everybody's just, you know, here and there. And, and you know, a lot of people you can't talk to about one thing or the other. You know, I try not to talk politics with people. I try not to talk. I, I talk religion, but I don't try to jam it down people's throats, you know, because they aren't going to listen, are they? If you sit there and just lecture them. And I hope I'm not lecturing you guys tonight. <laughs> so, but anyhow, you know, and, and some people, you know what you can talk to and some people, you know what you can't talk to them about. But I try not to, to segregate people into areas where I, I know that, you know, they're uncomfortable or I'm uncomfortable. And, and this is what God wants to do is bring us all together. I, when Ann and I lived down in Fontana, we lived down there for about five years or so. And uh, we were talking to somebody and they were Christians and they went to this Christian church and it just kind of blew me away because I said, well, maybe we'll go over and try the church. She goes, and she goes, well, you'd be the only white people there. And I was kind of like, well, is that okay if I come? Well, I, I guess so, but I didn't want you to feel uncomfortable, you know, which I appreciate her candor kind of like that. But yet, well, am I welcome there or not, right? You know, do I, do I feel welcome? You know, and I hope all you guys feel welcome here. And I hope there is never a, a time where you don't, you know, because... Because we don't want it to be that way. Church should be a place where you come, get healing, get God's word, walk out of here feeling great. Not just walk in here and, and feeling oppressed, you know, <laughs> like, oh, well, you know. And, and where I grew up, I mean, I was a minority where I grew up. So, I don't know, you know, people that come to me that are minorities, is, well, you know, I've been a minority my whole life. Well, I pretty much was too, you know, where I grew up. Didn't bother me. I don't, you know, I don't see colors or race as that big of a deal but some people do and and i mean maybe they were treated different as a minority or whatever but this is kind of where he's getting to here you know with the gentiles is that you don't need to feel this way feel like you're part of the the plan here and and uh so so paul reveals this mystery to them that yes you gentiles are included in this you're, you're to be part of this and so to the gentiles it was very important for them to hear this word to get, you know get it in there and, and Paul says, you know, I'm the least, I'm the littlest of, of everything. You know, I'm just a speck. I am lower than dirt, you know, is what he's saying. I'm down there on the ground. I'm, you know, I'm just this little molecule of dirt and, you know, I'm nothing. And it's funny because, you know, Paul's real name wasn't Paul, it was Saul, right? And in Latin, Paul, Paul the word Paul means little. <laughs> so, you know, here he's talking about this and literally it means I was little, okay? My name, uh you know, this bears my name. And because he realized how insignificant I am as one person as compared to God's big plan and, and all this, you know, he just, he just says, you know, uh, in, in, the, in Timothy, he calls himself the chief of sinners. And I mean, as Saul, he really was, wasn't he? You know, after persecuting Christians and, and having people killed and thrown in jail, he was the chief of sinners at that point. But that shows how miraculous God can do in, in our lives. You know, you think of people that are just the most rotten individual that have done the most evil things, yet there's still hope for them in their lives that they could change. Look what Saul was doing. I mean, how much worse can a person be than doing what he was doing? And now all of a sudden he's writing 25% of our New Testament. He is, he is ministering to people daily. I mean, he's ministering to people 2,000 years later, right? Through his word. 
And so, you know, we're looking at this and we're going, and you think about people that no matter what they've done, murder. Well, wasn't Paul a murderer? That's all? Yeah. So, I mean, we look at people that have murdered people and stuff and say, oh, there's no help for that, hope for that guy. Well, I think there is. I mean, it, it may be one of those instances where, yeah, we could pray for that guy. And, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I can really for him, but I could pray for him. And I could hope he changes his life. And yet, look at these disciples that were you know, really into God's word. And when Saul came to them, well, I, I really don't know if I want to sit with him or I don't know if I really want to listen to him, right? Because he's like, okay, I'm preaching God's word and there's been a definite change in my life. And after they were around him a while, they saw that. They saw that change in his heart, that change in his life. And it, like I was saying, we see people and we're saying, well, there's no way that person can change. I've known him forever. How many people on their deathbed have, have accepted the Lord that you know? I mean, I think there's somebody in everybody's life that we've seen that happen to. And you, you just know it can happen. And you, you know, you may say that, oh, it'll never happen. That guy's just the devil. And, you know, he, he just, well, it could still happen. Pray for them, right? You know, it's not like we've got to throw it in their face every five minutes when we see them. But pray for those people because they can change. And even though they may not be at the top of your list or somebody that, you know, like, well, you know, I really have a heart for this brother. Well, you may not have that heart for them, but you can still pray for them and know that there'll be a change in their life, even no matter what evil they have done in their life. Because, I mean, like I said, Saul was, he says, you know, in Timothy, I myself am the chief of sinners. And I think all of us are kind of have that down in our heart. Yeah, I'm a chief of sinners too. I've, I've done bad things or I've thought bad thoughts. And, you know, Zeke's preached it from up here that I sin daily. You know, maybe not outwardly, but, just something going through my head or, you know, guy cut you off on the freeway. Yeah, that guy, you know. How many of you have done that today? Come on. <laughs> you guys are coming to church. Some guy cut you off or something. It happens all the time. And here the Gentiles learn that it's not because of your economic class or stature, but in God's eyes you're in. You know, you're, you can be in this, this group of going to heaven, having eternal life. And we need to be that united family here at our church. And even out on the streets, you know, talking to people. You don't need to do it, like I said, shove it down their throats. But, you know, hey, brother, how you doing? You know, man, we had a great time at church today. Maybe you guys want to come, you know, or not. But Jesus loves you, God God bless you, or whatever. You know, just that little thing. You throw that thing in there and people say, oh, he must be a Christian, you know. Well, it's little things like that that people see. So it was important to the Gentiles to learn this. To learn what God's plan was. In the Old Testament, it really didn't talk about this, did it? We were talking about God's law throughout the Old Testament. We get in the New Testament, life of Christ. How our sins are forgiven through Christ. Okay? So, third of all, as we read in Ephesians 3, 9-10, through 10, it was important to the angels. Not the baseball team, the angels. The real guys. Okay? So, in, in verse 9... And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So you read that and you're thinking, huh? Oh, those guys. Okay. This mystery is revealed to all. You know, I don't... I don't think God kind of fills the angels in on everything, you know. I don't think he's sitting there having a little powwow with them daily, you know. Hey, guys, come here. Huddle up. 
we're going to talk about this. So, I mean, this, you know, for what the angels probably knew going into this was that the law in the Old Testament. So now it's being revealed to all. It was revealed to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly realms. So in the Old Testament, it clearly states that God will save the Gentiles through Israel. But nowhere are we told that both Jews and Gentiles will form a new creation. The church, the body of Christ, that mystery was revealed to Paul and other leaders in the early church. Okay? In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes about how the angels watch the activities of, of the local assembly. You know, over here, you know, I got an angel on my shoulder, you know, watching the angels watching over me. They're watching over you. You know, it's kind of like their reality TV, right? They're sitting here, hey, it's the Church of Feeling or whatever, you know. They, they got their own show. They got Tom over there doing what he's doing, and they got the one angel sitting there watching him, you know, watching Bonnie every day. <laughs> yeah, there's probably a couple over there. And, and we're made a spectacle unto the world and to the angels. And then the angels, they learn from the church. The manifold wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is seen in his new creation, the church. The beauty and the variety of God's wisdom and his great plan of salvation. The angels are not God, they are servants of God. Okay? You know, we may think that the angels are God, but no. They're kind of his servants, they're his guys. Now, if Satan knew this plan, what's being revealed here, he probably would have worked a little differently earlier. You know, he could see what's going on, he's like, uh oh. They're getting more people. And so the amazing truth now is to all the believers are to be faithful stewards in the great truth that's been revealed here. This sacred secret that was so important to Paul and to the Gentiles and to the angels is now in our hands, right? That we could reach out and touch everybody, not just the Jews. Now, it should be important for us Christians today. The fourth thing is it should be important for us Christians. Now, Ephesians 3, 3 11, 12 3, 11, and 12, and it says, According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him, through faith, in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So do you ever feel restricted to talk to God? You know, I don't. He's there listening to me all the time. He's there even when we don't want him around, you know, when things are going on and you're kind of like, oh, the guy cut you off, right? God's there. He sees you. Wishing bad upon that person. <laughs> so anyhow, in Galatians 3.28 it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all together. Okay, We're, we're a body here in our church, but yet even outside of here, we are all one in Jesus. You know, we may have a difference in opinion on this church to this church to that church to this church. But we're all... We're all worshiping one God, right? We're all worshiping Jesus. As long as that's happening, you know, we may have a difference in, in a certain point or another. But as long as we're worshiping Jesus and you love Jesus, you love God, what he's doing for you, or not even what he's doing for you, but you know he's out there and he's with us. Well, isn't that a big difference? Isn't that, isn't that I mean, we're one. We're one in Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. Uh, in the Old Testament, when you obeyed, God blessed you materially, nationally, and physically. If you disobeyed, he withdrew these blessings. This is not the way he deals with the church today. You know, our blessings are spiritual, not material. 
And I know sometimes it really feels that way, doesn't it? <laughs> You're like, oh God, if I could just get through the week and pay off this bill and stressed out over that. God will bless you. God will bless you. You've got to let Him bless you. He may take you to the end, but He's still going to bless you. Pastor uh, Gary Malkasor at Apple Valley, he you know, was our assistant here for years. He used to talk about, you know, he said, man, you know, we wrote that tithe check on Sunday and their kids were, little Gary was in diapers, you know, and he says, man, we didn't have enough money to go get diapers and and all of a sudden we got blessed with somebody gave us a box of diapers or something, got them through the week, you know, and, and it's just God does that. You know, sometimes he'll, he'll stretch you a little, he'll test you, but that's through our faith that, you know, God will take care of us. You know, not always, it's, and it's not always, like I said, uh, what's the word? Materially, thank you. Got it written there. That's why I said I wrote stuff down just to help me out. But he'll bless you, you know, throughout. And he'll bless us completely. You know, like I said, some days it may not feel like it. You may feel like, God, just now, Lord, now. Well, it's not his, it's not our time, right? It's his time. God will bless you in his time. And sometimes, you know, I think it was in our scripture last week where, you know, God says, you know, like for him, a minute is a thousand years and, and that, you know. You know, it may take a while, but he'll get to you. I mean, he will bless you. And it's always, you know, if you're praying and praying and praying, God will bless you. And you know he will be there for you. And we appropriate our, our prayers by faith, but if we disobey God, he doesn't revoke them. How many, how many times do you disobey God in a day or sin, you know? Right? You know, we talk about it almost daily. Yet God will still be there for us. He's still watching over us. We... He doesn't revoke our privileges. He just simply, you know, we lose the enjoyment and the enrichment of enjoying God. Enjoying that part of being a Christian and loving one another, regardless of who they are. If they do you wrong, what does it say in the Bible? Turn your cheek, right? Somebody does you wrong, turn your cheek. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. You just want to get that guy. Turn your cheek. Just say, okay, I still love you. I may not want to be around you right now, but I still love you, right? And so often we look at people and judge them wrongly or rightly, like I said, by their appearance or their speech or their actions. Think about Paul and his past. He's in jail. He's a convict. He's not a missionary, not a pastor. I mean, he's a missionary. He's a pastor. But his main job is he's a servant of God. He's out there serving God. He's doing what he can do. And I mean, we, th- we may think we got it bad. Oh, we're down. Oh, man, you know, what has God done to me? Paul's in jail. Are you guys in jail? No. Steve's there a couple hours every week, you know, preaching to those guys. He doesn't have to stay there. He gets to go home every Sunday. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? We're not in jail. Yeah, Paul's there and he's having a great time, right? May not like the food. I don't know, but... You know, he's in there preaching the word. He's in there living that life for Christ. And that's what we need to do. We need to live our life for Christ. I mean, yeah, we need to live our lives, but we need to live our life for Christ and and live, have Christ shown through us in our actions every day. Like I said, you know, you're going to be around people that you may feel uncomfortable around. Well, you don't need to hang out with them all the time. You don't need to be around them all the time. God may put that person there in your life, may annoy the heck out of you, (laughs) but they're there for a reason. They'll put people in your steps for a reason. And we need to remember that. Like I said, let's apply that tonight. Let's apply that tomorrow as we go out into the world. You know, let's not judge people by how they look, how they smell, how they, you know, some of you ladies smell great. 
But man, I hug you, I smell that perfume the rest of the day on me. <laughs> you know, you walk around, you go, wow, that was good smelling perfume, but man, I don't want to smell like uh, whatever some fancy perfume is, right? It smell like brute or something, you know? <laughs> but that's what I mean. You know, you, people, you know, people get adjusted to, you know, they, they get offended by how people are. And, and let's, let's go out and just, like these Gentiles and the Jews, let's come together as Paul's preaching it. You know, he's preaching to these Gentiles. They didn't have that chance beforehand. He's revealing this secret to come out to them that they go, wow, what an enlightened thing. You know, and I may have to sit in jail and, and tell and write letters about it and stuff, but yet I can get the word out no matter where I'm at. Paul's in jail. He's getting the word out. God had a secret, but he doesn't want it to be a secret anymore, does he? And if you've got a secret, you've been keeping it a secret, let it out. It's okay. God wants to hear it. God wants to see you out there working. I mean, if it's here at the church doing stuff that you normally wouldn't do, or if it's out there doing that. Remember, a God bless when you see somebody, it goes a long way. People say, oh man, look at I didn't know that. He's a Christian. All she has to say was, God bless you. Maybe when they sneezed, I don't know. <laughs> so anyhow, this secret was important to Paul. It was important to the Gentiles. It was important to the angels. And it should be important to you and me today. Okay? So let's apply it to our lives today. Go out, preach it. And we know that we can be united no matter what. Okay. Let's pray. Lord, we're just so thankful for your word, Lord that you reveal these mysteries to us, that you bring them out, and that it can be told that, that we should be united as a body, Lord, that we should be together, and that we should be out, like Paul, just spreading your word, Lord, to no matter who it is, to those that we're even not, we don't even know, Lord, that we could just go out and tell them how Jesus loves you and how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life everlasting, Lord, and that you would just bless us as we do this, Lord, that you would watch over us as we go and just give us those words and that strength, Lord, that we need from you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll stand as we sing this last song.